Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with New York-based fine artist Ron Ewert. Enjoy. Where are you at the studio? Yep. You working on that that big old pink thing? Uh, I should be, but I'm not. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm working on this other painting. Like an actual painting? I guess, yeah. I guess that's what it is. Just a big, like, assemblage painting thing. When did you first uh, discover the foam? I mean, hmm. In the way that I'm using it now, probably like 2017, when I started printing off of styrofoam. Okay. But the first time I ever drew on styrofoam was probably like 2006 so i like i distinctly remember like finding a random piece of styrofoam and like i had i had this practice of like drawing on everything with sharpies at the time like all Hmm. different kinds of paper just because i like got some gratification out of the like just the mark making and and different like tooth the different tooth of surfaces yeah so i was drawing on the on like a little piece of styrofoam with sharpie and i like made a little doodle like cartoon thing and i was like wow that's really there's something about that that like really worked somehow and i think i might still have that or my brother has it somewhere so I think back to that a lot when I'm working on with foam. Is there a graffiti past in there? I mean, not really. <laughs> you just like drawing on random objects with Sharpie markers? Yeah, no, definitely not like that kind of graffiti. Okay. But the probably the like the transgression of graffiti. Like I used to do some really bad graffiti, like bad aesthetically and just bad for the community like just mean things like spray painting that shit on people's cars and stuff oh boy (laughs) are you willing to state your um tag name or is that oh man what was my or would it would it would ruin your career you don't even remember it i didn't really have a name well oh i did i did it was dog beer I would just write that on things and then I would draw like a really bad, like ridiculous Simpsons slash uh, Beavis and Butthead inspired like cat face. Jeez. What age were you? This was, <laughs> I was an adult. 
Um, nice, nice, nice. Probably like 20, 21. Okay. Ba- barely an adult. Yeah. But uh, that was just a, it wasn't like a regular thing. We'd, we would go out and just like tag shit when we weren't old enough to go to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still value transgression or is that a phase for you? I mean, I think I still do, but not like, not in that direct of a kind of like nihilistic way. I, I was in, I was really into neck face. Of course. The, gra- the graffiti artist. Yeah. You had to and, be at the time. Yeah. And, um, fecal face. Mm hmm. Yep. All that, even though I wasn't, I was in Milwaukee at the time. Mm. But I think I had recently visited New York for the first time and saw some. I must have been like blown away by the graffiti and the neck face tags. And I think part of the drawing on foam too came from like some of the other artists at that time, like Paper Rad and Deer Raindrop. Yeah, there's this kind of. Um... I always found it practical to draw on inexpensive things with inexpensive tools just because I didn't have like the pressure of losing a ton of money mm-hmm. by by drawing with like Copic markers on 300 pound paper or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. even when I buy a nice sketchbook, I'm, I end up drawing on post-it notes and just like computer paper. Mm-hmm. It's like I have stage fright when when yeah. in front of certain material totally and uh so i relate to that and also at that time people were just drawing on things you know like i, I feel like barry mcgee mm-hmm. just like yeah. here's here's a drawing on a thing and that's was cool then mm-hmm. it's not very interesting for whatever reason now i mm-hmm. feel i guess unless it, if it's organic you know then it's it's fine, but there's some, there's something of a put on for me when it's like all these glass bottles with faces on them mm-hmm. and it, and it, it's an art project. Yeah. That, that, that feeling is really shitty as opposed to like just a blue collar dude in a garage who drew on a can or something one day. Yeah, totally. It's funny that that just came up immediately because I was, I like, I don't know, somehow I, I was reading and, I think I watched like some random video on YouTube where this guy was talking about paper rad being like a, I don't know, early inner like or post early post internet artist art group. And I just sure, kind of, sure. I never really think about that, especially and Barry McGee. Like I saw this, I saw the beautiful losers show in yeah. Yeah. On a family vacation in San Francisco in wow. 2000, whatever year that was, five, thir- four, three. And was just like obsessed with that. I think I bought the book. And Saw the movie. Yeah, totally. Played the video game. Yeah. Did the whole damn thing. But I kind of just, I don't know. I, I'm, it just was, it's there. It was like a formative experience at the Yerba Yerba Buena Art Center and I stopped thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. I mean I have a lot of respect for those artists. I try to stay respectful of my past 
fascinations, even if they mean very little to me mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. And I also trust that I was onto something by liking them, even if, mm-hmm. even if I don't know why. Yeah. But I, I almost asked too, because you ever get overly intellectual people asking you why you work in foam as if there's some deeply conceptual reason behind the material? Well, or is there? I, I mean, no, not necessarily. I I can. Like, you can make it up. Yeah, you can I can bullshit. intellectualize it, and I have. Go but, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's like a there was an interesting um, experience. I was in. I was like doing this art fair in Switzerland called the list art fair and it's like some kind of like adjacent to the art basel fair and i did this i first time i or second time i showed like a carved foam thing and this lady came up to me oh my god and i'm okay yeah and she came up to me and she was like oh you know like this is really cool do you know do you know rudy stengel (laughs) and i'm like you know i did like the name didn't ring a bell at the time but you know these people that come up to you in these like super fancy art situations like that's probably like the curator of of some kunstall in like in switzerland or like some art like really famous art historian that's just like judging me so hard for not immediately citing like Rudolf Stingel as like the reason why I'm working with foam and like, who, the hell, who the hell is Rudy Stingel Rudolf Stingel he's like a con- conceptual painter foam sculptor. foam man yeah so one of the piece one of the pieces he's like most known for was and I don't know where it first took place but he like lined the walls of um a museum even know what he's done a couple versions of it of this like silver foam insulation or it's like foam with like a silver um surface to it and basically invited the audience at their leisure to just carve and scratch into it with utensils whatever keys basically the audience like scratched the fuck out of this thing graffitied it and or scratchy'd it and oh, scratchy yeah and like that became the work and he and he would do this piece where he could put it in pretty much any context and the, the you know the audience and he doesn't have to do any work <laughs> yeah and he, so he, but he also makes paintings that are like extremely yeah, yeah, yeah. technically proficient like the most photorealistic paintings you've ever seen um so did you, did did you know did you know Rudolf Stingel when you were asked if you knew not Rudolf? Really. Did you not pretend really. did you pretend to know? No, I didn't because I had no idea. But he had like this retrospective that was in Basel at the time at like this really famous like institute. And I immediately went and saw the show and I was like, Oh, I see what I get it. Like I had heard I had seen the work, but I didn't I knew him for his photorealistic paintings. Like I had seen his work at the MCA in Chicago, a gigantic mm-hmm. photorealistic painting. 
but it's so there's so many artists like yeah yeah it's so boring a lot of (laughs) academia is just about chaining together references to legitimize work as if it's like tony hawk pro skater where you're just trying to like connect moves to make it worth more oh yeah totally and it's i'm so glad to not be anywhere near that (laughs) It's especially for people who don't just remember names. Like I happen to remember names of things I like and songs and artists, mm-hmm. but I also know people who know things and just don't remember the name of the thing. Yeah. It's and, kind of a miracle that I remembered his name just now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the spot, I can't remember. It sounds like he ruined your trip. He, I know. he blew up your spot. I mean, not, you know, I'm kidding. Not really. Now I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I'm like, I, He's so fought like, like several decades before me that I don't feel threatened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas like, if it's a, a contemporary artist that's doing something that's super adjacent that I don't know about, like, I do feel a little bit like, oh shit, like, yeah, are, you know, we both like subconsciously on the same thing. That's possible. I like to find out about artists that were very similar or like using very similar materials. Cause it makes me realize more precisely like what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. Or where I'm, how my sort of path to this point is different. I mean, it begs the question, like, what are you trying to do? You know, there's like a pop art element, right. But I don't know if you like come at it from the angle of Warhol where you're, you're kind of like, um, well, fuck it. I don't even. Sometimes I don't even know what Warhol's trying to do besides mm-hmm. re- reiterate something that's pretty obvious and redundant mm-hmm. in, at this point. But are you trying to do something with the work? Not that I think that's a merit to work necessarily, but I mean, yeah. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's very. I'm like kind of all over the place. So sometimes well, ma- I- material-wise, you're really consistent. So at least that doesn't. You don't feel all over the place. Yeah, and that's funny because, you know, I have, like, designed that perception of myself, my artwork. Like, I've o- I, like, have only ever shown certain yeah. bodies of work. Like, I would say, like, the the work that I've shown and that's, like, on the internet is, like, 5% of the work that I've made. <laughs> Um, and that seems that like that very like careful, um, curation seemed to make sense for a while. And I was doing it intentionally. And now it's sort of like, now I'm like just intentionally not showing anybody anything. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I don't, I don't really know what that's all about, but I think that curation is, logical in the sense of the the career of a fine artist is an act of branding largely and Mm -hmm. investors want a predictable trajectory of the the investment or the product so unless your thing is being all over the place Mm -hmm. i don't think it helps to publicly be like scattered brained Mm -hmm. when releasing work so it's it's really tricky because there's this assumption that you should be accepted as you are because you're an mm-hmm. artist and people are just going to throw money at you. And and then obviously you get into the game and you're like, oh, no, like, you know, this really is about differentiating myself in a market. 
and and having a, a signature and uh that can run contrary to experimentation for some people i think yeah I, I, like I, that's definitely true like i'm aware of all of those considerations and like as much as i in the past i think like pretended like that wasn't the reason like market considerations like wasn't the sure, reason sure. i was making decisions um it certainly played a role but i also like i just like loathe thinking about that kind of in general like i mean i i've just been i've since 2020 i've like very openly freely been experimenting in my studio and thankfully i've had a couple people that have like supported my work over the years and i've been and like are interested in my my work like holistically so interested in, in you basically yeah and like you know when i guess when you've been around long enough like there's a f you know a couple key relationships where people a few people kind of get what you're doing and understand what kind of an artist you are and then you know a lot of people kind of maybe like you as a person or like get along or know certain aspects of of your practice or stuff like that yeah yeah i think they can like you know we're all guilty of it in the sense of there's muses music artists that i like one album from and then when they change mm -hmm. and i was just like i'm not interested in that so yeah in a way I kind of objectify them. I'm like, I just want that predictable thing. But there's other music artists that I'm really forgiving with and will listen to albums that aren't even necessarily good mm -hmm. because I I yeah. suppose I, I like the essence of whatever they're yeah, doing. Yeah, sure. Like they kind of. No, but yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right in the sense of like fish or something like those people are there. Well, that's a, that's, whew, that's a tough one there. I don't even think they're there for the music. They're there for like the the loss of culture. And by mm -hmm. that, I mean, like it isn't, I it feel is like kind of a culture and it's a, yeah. Yeah. Substitute they're longing for. Yeah. And then there's drugs. So like, I mean, it's just easier to sell anything when there's drugs, alcohol, et cetera. So yeah. I, that's funny. That's a, we just, we, we just had a grateful dead cover band play at the art center and, um, Oh really? What, yeah. what, what's their name? Is it a known one? This old engine? I don't know if it's known or not. Oh, no. But I they were very very good, and that's all I care about, that the people within the the culture think it's of quality with, by their metrics, you know? Because I can't mm -hmm. judge. I can't really judge what a good Grateful Dead cover band is. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing about the Grateful Dead. Like, there's something about their, like, essence that makes people ignore the quality and that may be <laughs> very i don't mean that to sound like, no 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 but it's like the bob, the bob thing, dylan same shit yeah yeah you're like god at, at post like early 90s bob dylan's voice is just like hard to swallow it was always kind of shitty but it got really bad but people still oh. i still love it but but uh, but the dead like, I think about them a lot. And I, I think I you were just talking. I think you talked while I cut out, but I I sound like you had a good time. I'm back. Um, 
And I can, I can feel I can feel what you said. No, but I can hear you. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, right, it's all just, good. I could just ramble about the Grateful Dead. No, yeah, yeah. We we don't want to get into that. Are I they on? Just, I mean, that teddy bear's that teddy bear's got to be on something you made, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely made a teddy bear painting, or a, a dancing bear. So was that is that a thing that's formative for you at some point? No, not really. I just with the, I mean. The dead. I think I'm interested in the dead because yeah, there's something about like they only like they realize that like performing live, that their physical presence as a live band and touring was some was like their fucking superpower real early. And they kind of like invented that, which in the era of Spotify, like, you know artists nowadays like especially musicians know that their only way to make money is through performing and the irony of pop music is that you're just it's not about invention it's about performance so you're just doing the same material over and over again and you know some people like that some like as an artist some some artists enjoy performing the same music and like the grateful dead i would assume they enjoy it because they didn't write all that many songs and then some artists probably hate it and that's why they don't tour and they would do anything but tour like the right. beatles the beatles yeah especially when they get into more like pre-production fuckery i think they were mm -hmm. just like how are we even gonna do some of this live i think back then it was probably much harder to conceive of Mm -hmm. I think about painters from that perspective. Like, are there painters who just make the same painting over and over again, like a performer? And, and that's like, like in that, and they work in that mode. I think there's, I mean, there's Cleon, Cleon Peterson comes to, is that his name comes to mind? Like, I don't know Cleon Peterson. Yeah. I feel like you do. And I just didn't say his name, right. He was like a juxtapose. He kind of dude, but he has like, developed a real consistency mm -hmm. where the language consists of like maybe five to six symbols that are played with mm -hmm. and they're just like riffs and um i i respect it when someone can find a distilled language like that but i'm not interested in it i want to see artists struggle and in mm -hmm. pain <laughs> i don't want to imagine them like happy on vacation with their family on the beach while and then they drop into the studio and make that you know I, I think for me that is a thing like i really think that all humans look for that in art mm -hmm. the feeling of sacrifice it's kind of perverse but um you know if a musician's like crying or or you can feel their pain in a song mm -hmm. there's something really alluring about that yeah i think now all different I mean, you have a plethora, a cornucopia of choices today in sure. terms of like what, I mean, there are artists like that. There are artists who do foreground themselves and their life. I mean, that's social media. Um, and then there are other artists where like you don't, they work collaboratively, you don't know their real name, you know, and it's like, it's just the object or just the practice. Right, so, right. I mean, you wouldn't say that your personal life is in the work too um, explicitly, right? 
Like, do I learn I, anything from about you by the references or or what the the pieces are or how they come really. out? Really, I guess not. No, I mean that's fine. I, I don't. I'm not interested. Like, even from my own perspective, making art, like I'm not that interested in myself in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in symbols and ideas, and then just formal principles. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, as I make them, like personally, as I make work, it's like extremely. It's like very much me of me, like totally self-absorbed in like in my own mind, imagination, you know, like all of that stuff. And I, but in the work when it's like separate from me, when it's out of my studio or exhibited, it is more about me continuing the process of hiding i guess or obscuring that personal content so i would like to think that you could get a sense of like like a a state like my personal emotional state from some of the work but that would be more like represented in a universal type way where it's like the state of being lost in one's mind imagination and that's like very much how i feel all the time but you wouldn't know it wouldn't be like you wouldn't realize necessarily all the you you feel yeah 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 you feel like a space cadet is that what you're saying like you're out there sometimes i feel more like i feel more like waiting like i'm in mud like a swamp or like in shallow water is kind of like more how i feel all the time in terms of my process and material and you know and that maybe it's not always water sometimes it could be trash like kind of like like sifting through debris or um like mm-hmm. sor- sorting shit in a landfill. That's cool. I feel like, and sometimes that's like exciting, you know, like it's really fascinating sometimes to like flip over a log and see all the shit that's writhing around underneath it. And then other times it's fucking terrifying <laughs> to see what's, you know, like inside this pile of, trash or like toxic materials or whatever now to clarify when you're living your normal life do you feel like that too not not necessarily i mean it's a little more of like a light um, a light mud yeah like a light confusion <laughs> fear that a light swamp um, yeah n- navigating but i specifically mean like it the process of trying to like yeah, yeah. birth objects how do you know when the work's progressing like how do you know that your work is better than it was three years ago i guess it's yeah it's like very it's very personal like it's about 
how engaged like if i am stimulated like mm -hmm. if it's exciting for me like something is going right like i i've tried to like organize my compulsive making behavior aka art practice mm -hmm. um and organize it to towards goals many many times like i've tried to like you know root the work in like conceptual ideas and without fail it always kind of like unravels and spills out and i can't kind of keep it corralled and so i've tried to accept that i i can't fully control the outcomes of what i'm doing and i can't fully know what the motivations and like um meaning i guess behind some of the things that i make yeah i, yeah. I don't think there is a singular truth to be extracted but um so i know things are it's basically intuition sure sure yeah no it's an interesting problem i find with very personal work whereas if you work within a tradition or like if you're a classical musician like it's pretty clear i think when you're getting better because mm -hmm. you're you're at the behest of the metrics of the the thing you're serving and that's like a societal thing a cultural thing mm -hmm. it's not it's not just a personal thing mm -hmm. but i i do believe that those who can confine their inspiration to a cage so that they can dictate its behavior this is a problem and uh it's very boring and it, what's funny is i think academia often encourages that because it's a market consideration like again if you can cage or box the process or the mm -hmm. product then of, you of course have a higher probability of succeeding it's not impossible to succeed in an organic way but i yeah. think there's more more chaos at play mm -hmm. yeah i just i'm my appetite my taste for new things is very great like insatiable on some level so i i'm like constantly shifting you know uh materials and ideas and like source material and inspiration and ways yeah, of yeah, yeah. working and it but it's like it's it's really like ceaseless to the point sure, where like yeah. it becomes this like we like self-sabotage in a way it's where I, I start to like reflect on it as like it's some sort of like pathological condition. So, and like, could but be, I'm yeah. Also, like accepting that because I've been dealing with it long enough to understand that like that's how it is. I can't, like, no matter what I do, I'm like, it's going to be unruly. It's going to like, Sure, out sure. of my you know just be unknowable to me i think in the paddock yeah yeah especially in the respect to divine things in the past i think people understood like blessings and curses come together when you think about the lives of certain saints they're just like 
at least in this world, like horrifying, you know, like they seem haunted by this, um, this drive to serve something higher. And it's Mm -hmm. not like, it's not like they necessarily are these like super attractive, healthy, wealthy people. It's the complete opposite. I don't know what that is. It's like some weird test that one is put through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've, I've definitely had conversations with artists where they're trying to figure out if it's a curse, what they're dealing with. But mm-hmm. I think the real curse is often not having any way to process life. And artists have the the blessing of just having this intimate practice that lets them at least you know, push through some of that pain where I think people without it are often stuck and they just try to consume their way out and that doesn't do anything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, you know, I do feel like, uh, you know, I mean, I do appreciate like the, the sort of like, you know, you asked me how I am in my normal life, yeah. not necessarily making work. And I am like, I live, I literally live like a 45 second walk from my studio. So there is a huge blurring of the things, but like, I feel very content on a lot of levels that I making work, even if it's not like necessarily progressing in some linear way that like is satisfying for me. Like I feel that I have this outlet that it is something that like, you know, satisfies me at least physically, like materially. Um, I can't recall. Do you work another job? Yeah, I do. I work. I mean, I've been doing freelance art handling for a long time now, like over 10 years. And it's enough to like basically cover, you know, my rent and stuff, which is really the you know, where, what it comes down to is like, as much as I want to be like in my own head and in my studio all the time, like, that's just not, it's just not possible. I would, you know, that's my goal, but those are the demands. Like that is sort of the negotiation with a sort of, um, I guess, open-ended, intuitive, improvisational like hard to define contemporary art practice yeah it's like i want i don't want any constraints but there always are going to be well i think and say if i'm wrong i don't think artists have any issues with constraints they have issues with constraints imposed upon them by others or by top-down authority. So, like, obviously you have certain constraints, uh, especially when I'm making a comic book, there's almost only restraints. It's like, or constraints. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to draw like this the whole time. Or, you know, I have you to use... just, like, yeah. Yeah, or I have to use this, you you know, drawing utensil the whole time, and, and it's going to be black and white, and it's going to be 300 pages, etc. But if someone were to tell me that, it would never work. But I mm-hmm. personally feel like... Like, I'm sure when you found foam yeah, and you fell deeply in love, <laughs> then that was probably relieving because there's a, there's a thing you don't have to think about in some ways. It's like the material 
And that's, to me, a constraint. I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I perfectly, I, I put rules on everything I do. Like, consciously? You know, consciously, unco like, all of the above. Like, there's, so what's, the, yeah, what's an example of that? I'm kind of curious. Well, like, for instance, the last, um, what, what year is it? 2023. Uh huh. That's yeah. This year, basically, basically the last like ten years of my art practice have been like rules. And the but rules is there is there like a rule that is like very literal that you can say? <sighs> I guess I want to draw I mean, a it distinction. Was, it really, it literally yeah. was black and white for a long time. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I relate to that completely. The black and white mode. And then I would do other things like a little bit on the side for a while, but I really like, there was a, there was a good like five, six years where it was like, I, I am only going to use these materials and I'm going to, and I'm like going to be as stubborn as I can about it. And I'm only going to use gesso. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's it. And then it, you know, kind of like I would, find out like can i do it on white cotton instead of like regular cotton that's painted white and what right. is that and then I, it's like there's always been this like just pull towards like the the matrix of options within each material and so you say like if you're making a comic you can't like you're not going to just switch your style of drawing like mid mid comic unless like unless there's like a very conscious decision that you're yeah. making conceptual reason yeah but sometimes like you just i don't know if it's like some kind of attention thing for me but i'm like i have to do 10 things at once oh yeah that's not to say when i'm when i'm within those restrictions i'm not making colorful things on the side that are like kind of frivolous it's like mm -hmm. this is a release valve on the side of the, of the bigger project you know um the more orderly i get with one project then i just start making like tiny drawings with a shitty pen or something blowing it up and making it rougher so there's like this kind of um piston action that i think is pretty essential to making mm -hmm. but in respect to the uh, cnc project we worked on mm -hmm. would you have been open to that like five years ago or is this like kind of uh is that a step towards an exploration for you or is that an efficiency move like i'm kind of curious philosophically how you feel about that project and yeah and if I mean, you were yeah. yeah my my opinions about it have changed like my opinion about like i'm basically a luddite like i'm yeah. not really i can do basic shit i'm like you know i i learned typing in school and that's as far as it went so like i didn't have a computer a laptop until like my after undergrad <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah yeah 2005 is when i got my first laptop so i've always had the, like part of the reason i chose painting in art school was because of that like as a sort of like um reaction almost to technology 
like it, to me it seemed like this something that was like embedded in like this really broad super serious like historical continuum that was antithetical to the sort of fluctuations of technology right and so i've had this like ongoing just you know this way back in the day and i've had this these thoughts and concerns like throughout my whole practice and so there was like a couple paintings i did in 2016 where i was kind of like um you like using a lot of stenciling so different paths or methods it's funny using the word path with the mm -hmm. cnc but mm -hmm. um different methods to achieve like a black and white graphic image like different techniques and i i was really a really a, involved in exploring all the different ways i could think of to come at the same production of a, of a graphic image so i was extensively stenciling and my dad is a was a sign maker made vinyl signs and used a plotter so he was always stenciling and so i felt you know his main tool of trade was an exacto knife and i found myself sort of laboring over these gesso paintings with all my six years and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of schooling doing the exact same thing with an exacto knife it just was with a slightly different material for you know significantly different philosophical reasoning mm -hmm. and i was thinking about why I was doing it, like why I was doing it by hand, knowing that you could easily cut these stencils on, with a machine. And I thought back to like this Marshall McLuhan quote that was like talking about anxiety. And I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, like he's trying to describe through, I don't know, description of a process like what contemporary anxiety is and he was saying that it is trying to do today's jobs with yesterday's tools so um i titled a couple of paintings like today's job jobs with yesterday's tools because that's what i i felt like i felt like all this tension and fear of like an inadequacy like not being able to like achieve this like level of precision that I felt like I wanted to, like I wanted to be a machine in some way, but refusing to use a machine. Mm. And um, I think about those things today, like today I glued a thing that says machine onto this painting. But when I started carving into the foam, yeah, I, I was like, oh, wow, I wanna do this at a large scale but it's kind of ridiculous to do this by hand at this large of a scale. And so I knew for years that I should explore a C, like you help, like help with the machine, but with the CNC, but I'm just like, I guess I work on these timescales. And then you brought up several years ago that you had one and then the pandemic happened and I kind of like kept it in my memory, like, 
I didn't even know if you still had access. And so when I reached out earlier this year, I was like super happy. And then of course you are very like um, organized and you were like ready to go. And so that was like more than, more than the machine itself to me, like the process of working with you is, you know, in light, like really helps me to understand that I should probably go out of my way to work with other people as much as possible. Cause it really helps. It really helps and like helps me, I guess, get out of the echo chamber of my own solo bullshit. Yeah. You also realize that the translation process is so much more complicated than it seems. You know, when I first got the CNC with my business partner, I thought it was just going to like, produce finished objects in some sense mm -hmm. and it's just not like that at all it's a tool an aid etc mm -hmm. but it's you know there's a lot of work to be done a lot of um variation in the way people are gonna live trace the files you send etc and marry it to the the tool program mm -hmm. um but in respect well first of all McLuhan is the man mm -hmm. he's all you need yeah but uh, in respect to the outcome, you know, how did your how does your relationship to that mural piece differ since it went through that machine process and it wasn't cut by hand? Well, it, you know, it, it goes back to, well, it's sort of, even though it wasn't, it's not a finished object. I relate to it in the same way that I relate to like my own work or like shit that I've made that I wasn't really thinking about. I was just kind of absentmindedly making like carving something for, and then you like step away from it and then you come back the next day and you're like, you're like, wow, there's something about this sort of like, I don't know, um, fragment, this unfinished thing that is kind of like beautiful and perfect as is. And I don't, I don't want to change it, but it's also not, it's not my work. It's like this thing that just happened. And so mm. you're, I feel like very attached in some way to the thing that your machine produced, like as is like, and there's a hesitation about like it's talking about earlier like the material like you're kind of afraid when you're using more expensive materials to just like dig in you want to use crappy you know throwaway materials because there's no expectations there's no fear of waste or failure on the scale and so you know i feel my i feel confronted with this object that i had fabricated that I kind of don't want to mess up just in the same way that I, you know, there's lots of other things, but there's not really a true logic there for me. It's, mm. it's so are else. you, yeah, I forgot to check in in respect to, I know before you got it, you were thinking about painting it all white and cutting back into it mm -hmm. with a hot knife. Right. Um, yes. But are you just looking at like are you just letting it be for now i, I was let, i was letting it be for a while and 
you know, like the idea, this is a, you know, it's, um, it's not a painting per se. Like it's a, it's an installation. It's like an immersive installation. I've done multiple, like two or three different iterations of these works where it looks like it's carved into the wall. Yeah. Um, and that it's kind of like a sensory overload, um, like maximum amount of information, like a maximalist aesthetic in a way. But it's painted white to like blend into the wall, like to create that illusion that it's carved into the wall, but also to give it as low a contrast as possible. It's white on white. So you have this maximal sort of graphic thing, which is more or less a like a printing block, just at this immersive scale, like, 13 feet high, 30 some feet wide, wrapping around multiple walls. And so it's this balance of like maximal and minimal. And for me personally, it's like me trying to negotiate these like conflicting impulses of mine where, you know, I want to like, I want to like deal with everything all at once like deal with all of my source material, deal with all of my ideas, like directions the work could go. But I also don't want to like obliterate the audience or the viewer with this just like oppressive amount of graphic information. So I'm making it low contrast so that it's sort of palatable and that it can be entered at a different pace and different you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a maximal minimal play. And that's sort of like, speaking of rules, like in this, with this project, it's kind of like non-negotiable. Um, it's the part of the show is like, it ha it's, needs to be white. It's a group show. Right, right, right. And so it's just another version of something that I have already made. It's sort of like um, another dark star or whatever <laughs> yeah i think it'll look really good white but it's a shame because there's some really interesting interplay between the pre-printed graphics oh, on the foam and yeah. then the cut uh in there but mm -hmm. you know you gotta let go of that i guess <laughs> i know so that's the attachment yeah yeah and i've had a couple people by the studio and like everyone always comments on the sort of serendipity or whatever of the print on the foam, the like Owens Corning or whoever does this foam, uh, you know, like there's like an arm like flexing and it says strong and durable. And then there's, it says like foamular NGX, like listing all the fucking chemicals that are in this shit. Right. Right. Like, right. And I, like, I totally, you know, those, these are these sort of happenstance, like, happy accidents that I really want to like preserve, but I've come to realize that like, I can't, I can't do both. I can't yeah. have this piece that I really want to produce and also the state that it just happens to be in, which is also good. I, I can do both just not at the exact same time. Yeah. So yeah. You have to choose one and I just take a picture of it. 
right, right, Whichever, right. You know, and like that's it. So, so you went to SAIC. Yeah, is that right? So you said six years of schooling. Yep. Uh, what's your perspective on those six years of schooling? You know, what's funny is like, like you said, like, and then you you do all that, and then you just come back to these pretty fundamental things that have nothing to do with school in some ways, like the exacto. For me, I, I went to four years of art school, and then I came back to like, oh, I just I'm just a dude. A suburban dude who likes comics and cartoons, and that's that's it. You know, like that's the hand I'm dealt. I'm happy with it, and let's see what we can do. But mm-hmm. in school, they try force feeding a lot of this usually higher brow, insp- you know, influence and inspiration again for that clout uh, referencing. So, like, I'm just curious to hear. I assume you went to a master's program at SAIC, right? Yeah, yeah. What, I think what, I, like I said, yeah, well, I'm very, I've got sort of very like large appetite for information mm-hmm. um, of all all different kinds. So like, I think I don't think I needed to go to school, but I could also go to school forever, probably. You know, like I could continue to be a student. Like I like the structure of school, um, especially art school. It's like you're just with a bunch of people who do random shit and like to talk about it and and like encourage each other to do diff- like weird shit and like party or whatever. And it's like, who wouldn't want to do that forever? You know, as long as it's you could can free. Live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of curious though. When you had to talk about the work, what did, especially in like a a master's program, mm-hmm. what did that sound like? Like my my like thesis. In some ways, because like the work, I usually like work that doesn't need any discussion or mm-hmm. or artist statement. It should be visually compelling and strong and and that's it. So like I've never thought about with your work what that would sound like. You know, if you were in a master's program at SASC and they wanted to hear something a little more intellectual or at least rational, what what is that? What does that sound like? Well, I'm trying to think what I was doing at that time. Oh, was it different? I, I mean, to me, it's kind of like what we're talking about now. Like, I, there is like this, I was using magnets in grad school. Mm. I almost don't want to talk about it because I still want to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a good idea that you don't want to put out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. No, but I mean, it was like the same thing. I'm talking about the, this foam. And why is it that when presented with just anything, like sometimes things just seem perfect or done, or like they seem so whole in their existence as objects already, like nothing needs to be done. Um, Like this foam and some level it's, I, I could just install this pinkish purple foam as is as a mural i i would pretty much be comfortable doing that 
I don't need to actually physically do anything to alter it. And it could still, it's still interesting. I, I could talk about, I could talk about anything at length, any object, any like light condition, a sound, like a book, a TV show, an actor, like you name it. There's like the richness of, I guess, reality mm -hmm. is, is there, it's like potent. And so one of the things like, I got really into building my own stretcher bars. Cause like I said, I was interested in painting as this, like, I guess, representation of history or something like this manifestation, this like physical material um, stand in for like the continuum of history. Now, at the time I had some kind of weird twisted, like half-ass expectation of what history was, but um, I would make the stretcher bars and then stretch the canvas. And like, it was such a amazing process and like object that I couldn't do anything to it. I didn't want to like mark it. I didn't want to, everything would be ruining it from that point on, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't even gessoed white. It wasn't even like the fear of a blank page of a white page. It was just the, the fabric, like the, it was like an upholstered thing. And so I started like just making these assemblages on the canvas without actually altering the object at all. So I was using magnets to like mount and coming up with like ingenious, like clever little mechanisms for like hanging things on the canvas in impermanent ways. So like not wanting to actually do anything permanent to this historical canvas that I had made. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, like this notion of, um, of like finish and permanence, the permanence that you expect as a collector of like an object, like, you know, I've always been comfortable with. One of the first things in undergrad that we were taught was like how to make a fucking oil painting or any kind of painting that would last forever. Like that was gonna be so chemically stable that it would never deteriorate. And that was like ingrained in my mind to the point where like every, every version of that, that wasn't like, you know, was somehow inferior. And so how could you even, you can never really achieve that level of permanence, like the, such a thing at all. And so how can I like, with all of these sort of like, hangouts, I guess, how do you go about producing work, producing like anything when you are just not, there's just this both unlimited possibility and the, like, it's no matter what you do, it's really kind of meaningless. It's arbitrary, like object. So that led to, you know, the the assemblages on this with magnets led to 
me thinking a lot about doodles and preliminary sketches mm-hmm. and thumbnails, quote unquote thumbnails. Um, these like, so basically the idea, like conceptual art 101, the idea for the work rather than the work itself. And so how could I conflate like the finished object that's presented as like the culmination of a process with like the origin or the the initial idea. And so I was just painting straight, transferring the thumbnail sketch as the finished work, just enlarging it usually. (laughs) And that, you know, that sort of like informed my material decisions at the time, thinking about um, gesso and preparatory materials. Um, And really not going beyond That's why I was doing black and white is because it was like, it's just basically the idea. It's not anything more. It's not even a painting. It's, it's just the idea of the painting. And yeah, yeah. So it's existing in this way, like prior to its um, actual realization. And on a personal level, it's just me being clever and avoiding having to make a like a finite decision on some level. Right. There could be cowardice. I've thought about this one a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell sometimes when we're rationalizing fear of judgment. You know, like, if this thing's done, then someone can say, well, this thing sucks. But you could always, yeah. if it's not, you can go like, well, it's actually not done. It's in the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so th- there's a h- high amount of honesty required in personal work mm-hmm. um, that I think is interesting mm-hmm. that make that makes it compelling work that's more belonging to the social sphere. It's judged in some, especially nowadays with social media, it's judged by certain metrics that are pretty tangible. Likes, sales, mm-hmm. whatever. Sure. But yeah, it's super. I think it's beyond personal i think there's a divine interplay um because it isn't clear to me how one within themselves would have this dialogue uh, if that makes sense you know it's like trying to like self-improvement is a weird Mm -hmm. term to me because if how can a self improve itself from contained within itself Mm -hmm. um so like for me there is a divine implication to these these processes yeah i could could totally see that i mean i was like raised religious and over the years it became more apparent that it was more like it was more of like a spirituality rather than like a religiosity or you know like it wasn't some it wasn't me about me following like any set of process or dogma yeah yeah and so i it's kind of always been there and that's sort of like the the affinity for the sort of um like the way things are yeah exactly like like it's somehow it came to be this particular way and there is some sort of like cosmic uh you know like there are so many other potential, 
I guess realities. And this is that happens to be the one that I'm like engaging with at this time. And so there is, there is both no meaning to that. And also like as much meaning as I want there to be. Yeah. It implies a sacredness just because you exist within that one. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm talking about is there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's an implication of sacredness in, in certain art making processes that like, you know, because you sound insane otherwise, right? Like you think, think about it from a material pro like empirical position Mm-hmm. Uh, why so much delicacy about atoms and, you know, even light? But mm-hmm. the world is far more surreal and strange than that with aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And again, it is sacredness like this. I don't think it's just psychological pathology or something, the way an artist can fixate on this little moment of poetry. Mm-hmm. There's... And then it becomes what the question of what's the duty of the artist, you know, is it to, yeah. Cause obviously poetry is, is it's just a lens of um, exposing the pre-existing poetry of life or something. It's not like it's necessarily making mm-hmm. uh, something, but it's just like calling into existence, a possible sequence of descriptors. Yeah. It's you framing. I mean? It's like framing. Framing. Maybe? Sure. Yeah. You know, your work frames a lot. And I also think black and white, for me, always had a psychological implication or philosophical implication where it's just like, maybe because I think, I think binary to start about almost all things, I think in black and white. And then my goal is to find the poetry between those two extremes and like arrive at a conclusion in the middle, I think. Yeah. Um, and Black and white doesn't sell, that's for sure, in any way, comics, etc. But there's something just like where where it feels it really does feel just just like it's the idea. There's no coloring, emotional coloring, or like you know, embellishing on the thing. It's just like this is straight out of the brain or whatever yeah. whatever it's coming from. I've always felt like the black and white, like it, obviously it, when you make such a, like a extreme limitation, like it's just, you know, from a painting perspective, it's just, it's just a limited palette, you know? Uh, and when you make those kinds of decisions, like it opens up all kinds of different interpretations and possibilities. Like, like I said, I was trying to come at the black and white from every way I could think of, I guess, to make it interesting for myself. But, um, you know, like I, I've analyzed it in so many different directions that, you know, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's okay. I think we understand the black and white appeal. It's just raw. It's, it is what it is. There's sometimes, and it's like an anti-marketing strategy in some ways. Yeah, like, there's that. For sure. I kind of fell into that at some point where... Like I thought even like a nice website was some disingenuous act that the work should somehow yeah. push through all the, the non-aesthetic concerns of what's around it. But I think that's a bit too much, to be honest. Like For a tech illiterate person, it's uh, very easy to photograph, mm-hmm. to Photoshop. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but for me, it was always very like evasive, just a way of like, I don't know, like, like kind of taking the goal of the painting of the process of like the practice and flipping it around in some counterintuitive way, like un contrarian on some level, stubborn on others, you know, and it kind of just it happened like it took on a life of its own after I made the decision. Um, I don't think you can be an artist without being contrarian in some sense. I don't know what that is, but it's a very common theme yeah. on the, on the podcast in general, in the interviews, mm -hmm. like it's very interesting. I don't, I don't know what it, like, you know, of course you don't want to be reactive, like, cause then people control you one way or the other. Like someone tells you no, and you just want to do it or, or vice versa, then you're just, you're essentially just doing what people tell you. But maybe that's part of the game. Like there's something the world needs. And by definition, it's your job to bring it out. Mm -hmm. And if anyone could access it, then there would be billions of artists. And I, I almost have this weird idea that there's never been, you can't create more artists. Um, there's like a finite fixed percentage of humanity that can be a real artist. And there's people who can have jobs that they're called artists, or there's people who can be craftspeople, which I think mm -hmm. is a slightly different preoccupation. No disrespect to craftsmen and craftswomen. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. But that transgressive contrarian, you know, it's filling some that urge is filling some kind of lack in the world. And then of yeah, course I mean, you, it's, it's permission. Like you kind of, I, I don't think I personally would be much of a different person. I would have probably, you know, no matter what path I took, like I probably end up fucking make doing some weird shit. But, um, you know, like it, when you go through the process of like an art education, ideally the the goal is some kind of like creation of a space where there where it's permissible to be to like indulge that contrarianism in a productive way not necessarily in like some fucking like horrible QAnon or like political way you know or just argumentative social like antisocial way but make turn yeah, that yeah. sort of into something that can be beneficial that's right. if you're not a sociopath i guess yeah i mean and that that brings us back to graffiti in some ways it's like mm -hmm. very interesting like you were saying you were just it was just a destructive kind of chaotic impulse mm -hmm. so like the impulse exists it's just you're you've channeled it into the art yeah, now it's like an interplay with myself on some level. And I, I'd like to expand that into like a more socially engaged like practice. And I don't mean social in terms of like political, but I mean like um, not so insular. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like... Well, that's maturation to me. It's an expansion of the your everyday concern, right? So, like, 
mature adults think about other people more than themselves. But yeah, so I don't want the work to be totally like alienating. I mean, I, I am very interested in alienation, but I don't want to like, my goal is not to like confuse people, but more like open a place to con like us confusion. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I don't, but that's, that's kind of apt. <laughs> if, you know? I, I think this for me it's always tricky like what art's role is and and it, it isn't clear always what if discussion or talking about it is good or bad to me and i think by discussion you probably don't mean literally um individuals yeah, I get, yeah sure yeah. yeah i mean i am it is like a form of communication totally right yeah. like i produce this thing and like someone might take it in it like themselves and they're like feeling it and like about it and it's kind of communicating but they're not necessarily like you, know, you get to ask me questions about it but most people don't yeah 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 totally there's this funny ad reinhardt cartoon strip you know his work yeah but do you know his comics i've seen some i'm you know i might I I have a comic that is similar to the one I think you're talking about. The what do you represent one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, know that one. Yeah, man pointing at a abstract painting, asking what do you represent, and then the painting points back at him, mm -hmm. asking him what do you represent. I think Ad Reinhardt's like a really boring painter, but the cartoons are good. I think his comics are great, and I don't even I don't even agree with him per se. Which first of all, it's not necessary for me to agree with an artist to like their work but his comics are just really interesting and um yeah just his view that like the pictorial plane is like pictorial artists it's just like this completely exhausted uninteresting thing to explore i think is kind of bullshit um but black and white again there's they're you know just really compelling mm -hmm. yeah that's another aspect of it for me it was always like the binary of the of black versus white and the purpose of that like the high contrast of black and white is basically to clarify to like true commute to communicate like you want the in like a like a written language you need that contrast to like for the text to stand out from the ground so that you can read it so that you can as close to perfectly understand you know the content that's to be right, communicated right. and so for me like to produce something in this like highly graphic way that is like a, a term that i thought about a lot was psychedelic stoicism it's like this kind of like thing that's not really communicating anything but it's in the language and so you have to kind of like wrestle with that contradiction and i feel like it's a confusing one and one that exists that permeates a lot of i guess contemporary media and imagery images yeah no no i gotta ponder that psychedelic stoicism there's something I there yeah, i know that's a 
I've never really used it, but, but like, it's, you know, the, even, even that, like the term stoicism is like, is just a confused one. People, it means so many different things. Like, well, stoicism doesn't help. I mean, I love stoicism, but they use this term nature with a capital N that's like a placeholder for so much. And mm -hmm. it, for instance, like it's like this notion that you should follow the one true nature, mm -hmm. act, act in accordance with one's nature. So it basically seems like God at certain points or like, or proper behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's why, well, first of all, that's, that's good. You know, like speaking about art and philosophical systems, like there shouldn't be one interpretation. Um, mm -hmm. That's propaganda. That's mm -hmm. dictating behavior via visual format. So I can mm -hmm. totally relate to this notion that like, I'm trying to legibly communicate obfuscation as clearly as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, like I like twisting a symbol that has a prior connotation mm -hmm. and then make, but making it clear, like this is the thing being manipulated, but I don't know what it means, you know, mm -hmm. um, and nor, nor does the viewer, um, kind of because it's already, it's already lo lost its meaning. Like, yo, that's, that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, like that's, I guess there's no like perfect ideal, like basic objective state of communication. Like it is this like medium. This is like McLuhan yeah. or Roland Barthes, but like this, this sort of like medium of language that is always, always changing that there is no like stoic truth to it. Um, and so like no matter what you're all you're like every time you see one of these every time you read a symbol or a sign you are basically inventing it right for yourself you think hmm. that you're like yeah, yeah it means something objective but it's really like everything that you're bringing to this moment like and it is like the creation of this content that you are participating in i guess like the Rudy Stingle. Old Rudy Stingle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I believe in a participatory reality, but in terms of the weight of each side, I might disagree with the sentiment. You know, like, I'm not sure. And by that, I mean, like, if we can agree reality is participatory. Mm -hmm. Is it 50-50? Is it 80-20? You know, like, in respect to the divine or re objective reality or objective truth, I feel like it has far more weight than we typically give it credit for because humans have managed to manipulate reality to what seems to be an impressive degree by their metrics. Mm -hmm. um, like McLuhan even talks about that, like the art or the earth is now an art project, basically. And mm -hmm. But like that shit's going to whiplash real hard probably pretty soon. You know, that kind of irreverence for what the thing's nature is. I think um, it's it's begging for some some kind of retribution from reality. And I don't I don't know if that's AI. I always it always I always come back to AI in the last like two mm -hmm. months, unfortunately, because I think it's a bigger problem than than anyone wants to. Well, plenty of people have been like, it's going to be a huge problem. But 
Yeah, that's well, tangential, I mean, but I find it funny that like everyone's forgotten the lessons of Terminator Two or Isaac Asimov, or there's just like so yeah, many yeah. examples. I don't think we yeah. forget. I don't think we forget. I think there's like a weird fate component to human direction that we don't understand. Like, I don't think humanity understands it's, it has a tremendous drive towards something. Sure, and yeah. we, we're going to try to make laws about like anti-AI, anti-chat GPT. Nothing is going to stop whatever this really surreal um, force is at play. And, and that's sounds like art in some ways. Like that's how art emerges. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like I make comics, I look back and I'm, I don't even feel like I made them. Um, feels like someone else made them. I'm sure you have that feeling at times about certain pieces. I could be wrong, but I know, you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Usually it's like when they're, it's when they're like the process of invention or something like when they're in progress, like, or sometimes I set them aside and I, I look at them again. I'm like, what the fuck was going on? (laughs) Like why was in crayons? Yeah, like an alien visitation. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, again, it's funny when if you strip the art aspect, it sounds like psychosis. Um, yeah, it's like a famous um, Sigmar Polka painting, where he's, where it's like kind of like a modern art painting, and it says in like, I was di- like this painting was directed by aliens or something, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, he had a sense of humor about it back then but but no, i don't know taking on a whole new meaning like, sure 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 i don't know why that reminds me of this paul clay painting where there's just like all this abstraction and then just an arrow really clearly pointing at just one point in the painting you ever seen that i it sounds familiar like a super crisp arrow uh-huh. it's just like this abstraction then it's it's very funny to me this and i feel like it's at the heart of what we're talking about where it's like that interplay between the precise and the, I guess it's chaotic, but just like more fluid. Mm-hmm. And the, to me, that's what makes art interesting. Anything that skews too far in one direction, uh, I tend to find empty. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like you mentioned Ed Reinhardt and like that whole, that whole like period of, um, abstraction and like color field painting you know i I, it's it love to like isolate vision right like to talk about like purity of materials and purity of the senses and kind of like looking back on it now from like a i don't know what like a post colonial perspective you're like it seems very like creepy and i don't know like white supremacist and whatnot just like the obsession with control and purity and like uh, but on the but on another level it, it really is doing a lot of the things that you know i'm thinking specifically maybe more of like rothko but it's doing a lot of things that they set out to accomplish but it's also doing a lot of other things that they refuse to admit were actually happening. Yeah. For me, I, my perspective on, it's just like, it's an anti-human approach to making. It's not, Mm -hmm. 
it's overly rational. And mm -hmm. if I'm being honest, I think they were looking consciously or not at, at the market. And there was this arms race of novelty where like, yeah, there was this sense of we did, especially with Ad Reinhardt, like we did it all. So yeah. of course, and he, I believe he stated like, these are the last paintings, the black ones. Mm -hmm. um, they're not completely black. There's like variation, but um to me it's just like cynicism it's just anti-human it's it's not concerned with the sweetness of life you know like it, it pays it's it's overly intellectualized uh, and it's also i mean there is a lot of i guess you mentioned propaganda yeah and and arms race like uh it was very much like cultural warfare on some level like sure you know like it was a sort of supported by i believe know, the, literally the cia i yeah. think i believe that whole pollock i mean yeah but it's like uh, cold war components representation of humans versus abstraction and the rugged individuals very mm -hmm. crazy yeah. very complex i don't even know if those those movements get off the ground without government involvement it's fucking yeah, really it, was, it goes it goes beyond obviously painting and yeah, yeah and it's yeah. just the it's just reality. like it's just the re like the political reality that we that the united states has always existed under and continues and it's so it's like you're kind of that's what i mean by like waiting you know like you're trying to be sort of free and real and and like kind of realistic about the level of sort of freedom and awareness that you genuinely have and and what the things you can control and what you can't control are and how do you you know how do you like make work how do you pursue your own like vision under those circumstances you're kind of it's like at one moment you're like trying to catch a fish and the next moment you're like like scavenging styrofoam out of the garbage like it's just back then you had you were you were only allowed to be an artist if you were like white man you know everyone else like was just completely ignored mm -hmm. save save a few examples right so things are changing and but it's but we still like are in this sort of, you know, uh, interrelated material like of life and knowledge and history. Oh yeah, it's very complicated. But at the same time, can be. I mean, at the same time, like it's not. Oh yeah, you don't think about that shit when you make art. It's not. <laughs> it's just, that's. Uh, it's almost like a. Almost a hubris to overthinking certain things beyond one's grasp or scale. It's yeah. just like you can do what you can do uh, with what you believe, and that's a bad. And you die. But and, that's the uh, beauty of like the Grateful Dead. Like, just there's something about hearing these really simple songs that just like like clockwork make you feel the same emotions every time no matter how shitty the recording 
no matter how many times the cover band has rehearsed, um, you know, Wharf Rat or whatever, like <laughs> it's still like there's something about that, the ordering that they, the writing basically, there's something about it that works that like cuts through the bullshit. Maybe it's nostalgia. It's the only refuge is Grateful Dead. I know. <laughs> well, that's a good way to end it. That's good. Ties it up nicely. Yeah. Well, I got to go eat dinner. Right on. Well, I have not eaten. All right. But thank you for inviting me. It's nice to. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. To talk about it and record this day. For sure. All right. Enjoy your dinner. Okay. Peace. Thanks for listening. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Ming Chen. Coming up, we have Jessica Hans.